0: Hello, and welcome to SNL After Party, the greatest SNL podcast out there. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am here doing your monthly recaps. Uh, You may remember me as I was doing these last year, but with my co-host Mike Bloom, unfortunately, I have to say Mike is not going to be here this season. He died. No, I'm just kidding. Mike could not... He could not be here this season. He he had to back out. So I did bring in a co-host to help me recap this month's episodes. And it's very nice this time because we have a female co-host who we're going to get a totally different perspective. And I also know from my SNL podcast listening, there are not a lot of female podcasters out there. So we're going to get a little different voice here. Uh, this is a good friend of mine. I've known her for almost 20 years. We have almost nothing in common, so it's always fun to listen to us talk about uh, pop culture stuff. And I want to welcome her to the show. Welcome to SNL After Party, Joni Newman.
1: Hi, thank you. Um, That was a very auspicious introduction. I'm feeling a lot of pressure now. (laughs) Good.
0: That's what I like. I like to make sure the pressure bearing down on you as hard as possible because you are the voice of all women, just making sure you know that now.
1: Oh, I love doing that. And It was not almost 20 years. That makes me feel very old. (laughs) But it actually was almost 20 years, and that does make me feel very old. (laughs) Yes.
0: So, Joni, tell people a little who you are. Give people a little backstory why you're a good uh, co-host here for the SNL Recaps.
1: Oh, man. Um, I have been involved in theater for a really long time. So improv and sketch comedy has been something I've studied for a while I, I I would not say that I am personally a particularly good improver, unless I've got a script. But sketch comedy is totally up my wheelhouse. So I'm actually in school right now for theater and will hopefully not embarrass my professors should they come across this podcast.
0: <laughs> I will do my best to make sure you, you, you will be embarrassed. Oh, good. <laughs> you're, it's, it's very dangerous to be on a podcast with me, Joni. I'm not sure you're aware of that, the world you've walked into here.
1: Well, I, and then the last time we talked together on your show, I was thoroughly raked over the coals for not having seen Avatar, so I'm, I'm prepared.
0: <laughs> yes, okay. Um, I will sum people up basically where we are. We, we come in here once a month, we sum up the state of SNL, how we think it's going, how we, where we think it's headed. Um, Joni, I will just, uh, let, give you a little chance to do the macro version of this first. Like, in the big picture, How do you think SNL is doing overall these days? And like, what is your history with it? And just kind of lead us up up until this season. Where were you on SNL?
1: I have an uncle who really, really loves SNL. And so I grew up watching lots of little bits and pieces that he had really liked. Um, He actually just recently reminded me of a couple of his favorite Steve Martin sketches. I cannot honestly remember which ones they were right now. Um, but he goes like crazy old school. Um, and then in high school got into it, uh, with some of my friends and then kind of through college kind of continued watching. I, I will say I do miss the Bill Hader era of SNL, if we can call it that. Stefan is probably my favorite character. But again, I'm in theater. I spend a lot of time around very flamboyantly gay people. So that was really in my, in my niche. <laughs> um, but as far as where SNL is going right now, I, I have mixed feelings. Like there are some episodes or some sketches that I think are really landing and there are others where it feels a little bit tired. But ultimately, I think the trajectory of this season seems to be going in a positive direction, at least for me. My I didn't really like the first episode as much, but the more recent episodes I thought were really good.
0: And what did you think of last season? Did you like the last season before this one?
1: Not really. <laughs> um, I, think, I think one of the biggest things that's struggling a little bit with SNL right now, and just really with comedy in general politically, is that Trump as a character should be a lot funnier than he is. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that is because he himself is just static as a character to make fun of because he's always doing repulsive, repugnant, like awful things. And to continually make fun of the fact that he continues to do those things just doesn't make for a good story arc. But I I do like that now that we're hitting into, especially with, with politics, we're hitting into the Democratic campaigns and moving in that direction. There are more political things to kind of bring up, which I think will be really, really good.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited that, to know that you keep up to date with politics and you know all this stuff, because I am notorious for not following politics at all. So I am completely handicapped in talking about most of these political sketches. But oh geez. <laughs> I, <laughs> I will lead into this a little different. I will kind of give my macro overview of where I think SNL stands as a whole. And I will start this. Uh, need, people who listened to this podcast last season would have already heard this. And I will quote Quint from Jaws here. Y'all know me. Y'all know what I do for a living. I'm the salty one, <laughs> I'm the salty one who always is negative. But I personally think my all time favorite SNL cast was the one from about 2012 through 15 or 16. And I think it was really firing and I loved it. And again, I haven't missed an episode since like 1985. So. For someone with such an old school mentality to say that I love the 2010s and beyond, I mean, that's, most fans don't say that. So I was enamored of SNL about the 2012, 2013, 14, right in that era. I think it was, it was really good. And in my opinion, they started losing people from that era and they have not replaced them. And I think it's been a, oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's been a big problem. And I will name four names in particular. You lost Taron Killam. You lost Vanessa Bayer. You lost Jason Mm -hmm. Sudeikis. And you lost Bobby Moynihan.
1: Oh, yeah. Those are big losses. And I think think you're totally right. I don't think the show really has fully recovered. In fact, in the notes that I took on the episodes, one of the notes that I made is that right now they're trying so hard to put the entire show on the weight of Kate McKinnon's shoulders. And that is so so brutal because there are some things she does where I'm like, okay, this works. Like I love Kate McKinnon. And there are other times where she comes out and I'm like, wouldn't they have loved to have given this to somebody else, Mm -hmm. but they had no one else.
0: Yeah. And see that backs into my argument as well, is that during that era, Kate McKinnon was there, but she was just one of a bunch of amazing people.
1: I totally agree. Yeah, And they've
0: slowly through attrition lost a lot of her supporting cast around her and they have not replaced them. So she stands out more. But the bigger point I wanted to make is that, Killam, um, Moynihan and Sudeikis were so strong and they have never replaced them. And that's my problem with this era that they do not have a strong male cast. Yeah. And I think they did. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. And so like when you see all the female SNL cast members playing male politicians and everyone's like, oh, it's great. They're sticking it to Trump. Trump hates that. To me, it's more like, no, they just don't have anybody else to do it. Yeah, yeah. that's what stands out to me most about this era, that it's incredibly female dominant, which is not a bad thing. There's a very strong female cast members, but A, you need some males to balance that out as well. And the females have been there so long that I'm kind of tired of them. And that's the issue. They've all been there like eight years, and I don't feel they have a lot to offer. So this is where I stand going into the, this season. Like, I really wish that you could use some turnover
1: yeah no i'm I'm actually sitting over here nodding as if anybody on a podcast can see me i'm I'm like, yes, 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 I totally agree, where there are so many like there there just aren't enough strong male sketch artists that's totally that's an accurate statement. Mm-hmm. I agree with that
0: yeah, and when you have Keenan, but Keenan's his own thing he's just a glue he will sell anything, but he's not really a leading guy, and like right now, their leading guy is Mikey Day who Like, if you'd put him back in the cast in the 2000s, he would be the Will Forte. He's the weird guy that just has a little weird thing. Oh,
1: completely.
0: And so it's really odd that he has to carry the show from the male point of view. So, again, this is everything I say about SNL is seen through this lens, that the females are great, but they've all been there so long, I don't think they have anything new to offer me that I haven't seen before, and I really wish we'd get some new stuff. So that's where I'm standing.
1: Oh, no, I completely agree on that. I think that's one of the reasons why so many of the sketches that I'm watching You know, like when I said earlier that I think that overall the season has gotten better. Mm -hmm. That's just saying, like, I really thought that most of the first episode was a complete dumpster fire and poor Woody Harrelson. (laughs) And then as I look at some of the other ones, like when I look at the at the Phoebe Waller Bridge episode, I thought her opening monologue was good. I thought there were a couple of sketches that landed, but I'm still looking at my notes on like the Royal Romance one, winner. I'm like, eh, forgettable or the bar sketch at the end. I'm like, yeah they're kind of laughing at their own jokes. This is kind of lame. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so my standard of good is not really
0: wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think this is why I think you and I will make a good pair because I think a lot of SNL gets praise like, Oh, that was such good effort and stuff. And you and I kind of have a little more of a BS detector. Oh, definitely. <laughs> it makes people think we're salty and we're negative, but I don't think we are. I just think we have very high picky standards.
1: Sure. Well, and I think one of the one of the things I didn't mention about myself is that before I'm actually at, like I'm in grad school right now. But before that, I taught high school English and while I was teaching high school English was helping out with a lot of the theatrical productions in my school. And so there are a lot of sketches where I look at what they're doing and I'm like, okay, if my high school students can do better than this, <laughs> then, then this is a problem. And there are a handful of episodes where I go, yeah, I've seen better. And there's a part of me that's kind of like, okay, but SNL has to write so much week after week. It's just grueling. So. Not every sketch is going to land. I'm not going to be the right audience for every sketch. But there are others where I just look at it and go, okay, objectively,
0: this is just lame. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So with that in mind, we're going to walk through these three episodes. And again, for our listeners, we don't specifically go through sketch by sketch and talk about every one. We just kind of give an overview of each episode, how we think they're doing. So, that being said, my personal opinion was I did not like last season. I thought it was brutal. I thought the show was old. They have way too many old people just coasting by. And in the off-season, all they did was they lost Leslie. I know. I'm like, I would have liked to do a little more turnover than that. So, I was not excited about the season whatsoever. I know they added a couple people. They added Chloe and Bowen and... uh and, well, the, uh, some other guy, they
1: we sort <laughs> of added some other rando who may or may not have done something super offensive that they probably should have vetted.
0: <laughs> so we'll just gloss over that guy. But, Joni, I'll just, before we go into the episodes, I will just ask you the question, how they doing?
1: Oh man, I, I'm not 100% sure how I feel about how they're using Bo and Yang because I feel like it's right on the edge of being racially inappropriate, Mm -hmm. but I'm not Asian. So I don't know if I'm the right person to make that call. I'm just not, I'm not sure. Like there are some things I I actually really liked.
0: Was it soul cycle?
1: Yes. I actually thought he did pretty well in soul cycle.
0: Yeah. My argument with the the racially insensitive thing is I'm assuming he's writing his own stuff because he's a writer. So that's, Oh,
1: that's true. Yeah. So I don't know. It just comes off that way to me, but maybe it's because I am used to being like in a position of privilege and being sensitive to how I present that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, if he's calling the shots and he's okay with it, then that's good. I guess it'd be nice to see him get a little more dynamic, but he's new. So, so far I'm, I'm intrigued by him. I thought his soul cycle was really good.
0: Yeah. I've been, I don't, I I wouldn't say, I think right off the bat, this guy is great, but I am so excited just to see new faces on the show. Sure. (laughs) Just anything, make him or Chloe do anything. And I'm so excited just because I'm so tired of the old cast
1: completely. I actually oh and I liked him on weekend update. That's where he came in. He came in as the the trade advisor and it started off a little bit awkward, but it ended really well. Like the character, he really committed to it. So even if it was a little bit weird and I wasn't sure about it, he committed so well that I really appreciated it. I thought this is this is potential.
0: <laughs> okay, so here we go. Let's let's start with the Woody Harrelson episode. Which Mm. you and I, I, so the season started and I'm like, well, last season sucked. And then they made no changes. And then the first episode, I'm like, boy, this was just like last season. This sucked. And I, I I know.
1: And I felt so bad because I love Woody Harrelson, mm -hmm. but they gave him no dynamics to work with at all.
0: And of course, none. Uh, of course, the, uh, the the show opens with a Trump cold opening, which is the one thing that so oh. many longtime SNL fans gripe about. Like, why do they keep doing this? And in the off season, Alec Baldwin's like, I will never do that again. I never want to play Trump. Immediately, we start the season with a Trump cold opening and I can hear everyone groaning. Oh, it was
1: such a dead weight way to start the season it was so lame it would have been so nice to start with something completely (laughs) non-political i don't know there's a part of me that just really wishes they'd lay off but they can't because he's the president so what do you do i um i actually i liked the cold opens in later episodes better when they were kind of expanding out and having trump as kind of this back character that everybody else is scrambling to figure out how to handle i think that works a little bit better than showing him on screen
0: So was there anything in the Woody Harrelson episode that you especially liked? I'm curious.
1: Larry David's Bernie I always love but I I have no idea truthfully like you mentioned that I like politics I I like politics in the sense that I read Twitter <laughs> and I have a vague idea of what's going on because I feel an academic duty to do so <laughs> but I don't watch a lot of news television because I find it kind of laborious so I have no clue really in the in a really real sense how well a lot of the imitations are Um, A lot of these impersonations, I don't know how accurate they are. I do think Larry David's Bernie is awesome, but I still can't decide if it's just because Larry David as an old man is funny or if because his impersonation of Bernie Sanders is accurate. I really don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I've I've heard other people talk about that on SNL message boards that like uh, Elizabeth Warren, when you have Kate coming out as Elizabeth Warren and like she's all Mm. dynamic and fun and like throwing out catchphrases. And I've seen people say, but that's not really like Elizabeth Warren. That's just Kate. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I have that same feeling about Kate's Elizabeth Warren where there are some times where I go, okay, that was funny, and other times where I go, eh, is it though? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I just, I, I go back and forth on that one. I also really liked the Inside the Beltway sketch oh, because oh, yeah. I thought it was, I thought that one was great when they kind of go into this like inception, and it was, it's always fun <laughs> when they, Kind of lose their own minds over these insane costume changes they have to do. So that one was fun. I like that one.
0: All right, let's come back to that one because I want to talk about that one. That was an, that was the standout sketch here. Let's let's talk about this Cheeto Museum one here.
1: That was so random. <laughs> is that is that a real thing? I I literally wrote down on my notes where the hell is this coming from? I don't understand. Was this a news story I missed?
0: I was so lost. Yeah, not that I know of, and it's it was a very odd sketch to kind of start off the season with. Like that's your first real non-political cold opening sketches. <laughs> like the the thought process on some of this show always b- baffles me. Like we're gonna start with the Cheeto sketch.
1: It was so weird. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get it. That one that one was completely lost on me.
0: I mean, I like the Cheeto explosion. I, I'm 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 fully a sucker for an exploding giant Cheeto, and everyone oh, sure. being yeah. I mean, who isn't really?
1: Oh, yeah. Go for it. Go for explosions. Yay for making fun of Cheetos. I don't know. It was
0: weird. (laughs) But 80, like 80, I thought was pretty good in that trying to save that sketch. But it was weird because you had the double cold openings and you had Woody's monologue and then the Cheeto sketch. And then you're all all the way up to Billie Eilish, the first musical guest. Like, there's been nothing in the show that has been remotely above average and we're already up to update. And then we get to the one that I know neither you or I had any interest in whatsoever. The football coach slash penis joke sketch.
1: Okay, and coming from someone and my friends will tell you because I I come off decently highbrow like I like going to the symphony. I read snooty Pulitzer Prize winning books, but I love a good penis joke. It is probably the lowest brow thing about me is that if you can catch me off guard with a joke about a penis, I will giggle like a five year old. But this whole sketch was so cringy. It was so bad.
0: Yeah, and this uh, this is another one of those. I just am baffled by the thought process behind it. Like, who wrote that sketch and who thought that was going to work? And although my side note on that one is Heidi is in there. Heidi is trying her best to make that sketch work.
1: Bless her heart. She was so good in this super super horrible sketch. Like she committed. Like put that character somewhere else, please, because she was great.
0: And I have long said Heidi is my personal favorite cast member in this cast, but she is desperately searching for just the right writer who can harness her in the right direction.
1: I totally agree. Yeah. She's such a she's such an ace in the hole that nobody's really quite discovered.
0: Yeah, and it hurts me because my wife doesn't like her. My wife's like, oh Heidi is always the same in every sketch.
1: And you're still married to her? Like, you guys still get along?
0: Uh, Yeah, we're in counseling.
1: She's really wrong about that, (laughs) Mario.
0: I can't say that. I have to lower my voice. (laughs) You're 100% right.
1: All right, we'll give her a nickname. We'll call her Guidey Harner. And... (laughs)
0: and she won't know what we're saying okay so yes Guidi harner is amazing but yeah she needs a writer she is they're absolutely not doing her any favors And her and she's already starting to kind of gain this reputation a lot of snl fans are like oh she's always the same she's very repetitive but it's like that person like you of course you have a theater background so i know i'll just turn this over to you i can already tell she does stuff that nobody else can do as a character actor right
1: oh i completely agree and and i don't think it's really fair to say oh well. She does the same thing in every sketch. I'm like, um, so does Keenan. <laughs> like, Keenan, Keenan does what he does really well, but he's kind of the same in a lot of sketches. Kate McKinnon, kind of the same thing. Like, there are some times where they break out and they're able to do something different. Um, but when when they're given kind of crummy material to work with, then yeah, they slip into themselves. Like you see Kate peek through, you see Keenan peek through. Uh, Kyle Mooney's another one who's a total repeat offender on that one to me.
0: I have zero love lost on Kyle Mooney. I apologize in advance on that one. Yeah, we'll get to him in a second. I hate to say that I'm joining you on that train at a certain point here.
1: Wow, this is not going to be dynamic. We agree on everything. <laughs> I know, this is weird.
0: Joni and I never agree on anything. In fact, I even wrote in my notes, there's a Downton Abbey sketch. Oh, Joni's going to love this. I'll just turn it over to Joni. Nope. I already know you hate it now.
1: No, nope, didn't like the Downton Abbey sketch. I thought it was lame. And this, again, coming from someone who really
0: loves British humor, just in general. It didn't land for me. Joni straight up has like a British fetish. Like, I know you love... Oh, yeah, it's true. Yeah, you just want to live in England and you love accents. And the Downton Abbey sketch didn't even work for you. And that says a lot. No.
1: Yeah, they just, they didn't land for me. They weren't really American humor and they weren't really British. And they were just kind of awkward. But yeah, locker room sketch was lame. Yeah. It felt it felt a little bit lazy. It felt a little cheap, a little almost self-serving. And I think that's where some of the jokes are not rubbing the right way for me. And one of the big challenges of improv and sketch comedy just in general is you have to kind of figure out, okay, are we doing this because it's legitimately funny? Are we doing it because we think it's funny? And sometimes I, I feel like the problem I've had with FNL recently is that I watch it and I go. OK, this is a little bit like watching little kids play soccer, like they're having a great time, but the game itself is really boring.
0: That is a fantastic observation. I never thought of it that way. But the more I think of these three episodes and this era in general, you do see a lot of that, especially I'm going to call out one name here, Aidy Bryant. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, I hate to say I know there's a lot of eighty fans out there, but she really thinks some of the stuff she does is the funniest thing ever. And it almost never lands with me.
1: Yeah, not always, although I will say I liked her in Inside the Beltway. Like, there are times when she really works for me, but other times I totally agree with you. I think she's a big offender of
0: Hmm, that. Okay, well, I'm glad you brought that up. Okay, so let's do this Inside the Beltway sketch. Awesome. And I will just say the one thing that, that always gets me in trouble is that the technical abilities of the people who run this current era, I do not find very impressive how sloppy they are with a lot of their cuts and cutaways and fades and stuff. Sure. And to me... To think that this era could pull off that ambitious technical sketch is baffling that they thought they could pull that off. <laughs> and so, like, totally everyone, yeah, everyone remembers how funny it is because they keep screwing up the cuts and the timing and everything. And to me, it's like, why did they think they could do that? I've not seen any evidence that this current era can do a sketch like that. So I understand it was funny, but the takeaway for me was, man, that was a train wreck. They just weren't even close to pulling that off.
1: To clarify, I've, and I think this actually brings up a really interesting point. For one, saying that I loved it. Did I say I love I don't know. I liked it best of all of them in here. So maybe I loved it simply because it was literally the only sketch of the night that made me laugh. But I do think it's interesting to consider, okay, when, when things don't go right on SNL, sometimes it's super funny and it works. And other times it's like kind of pathetic in like in this case, yeah, they should have been able to do that and like keep their cool. The, the transitions between the different years that they were trying to portray should have worked. Um, But then you also look at, say, like John Mulaney, totally messing with Bill Hader as Stefan. And that's endearing and funny when he can't get his absurd lines out, or at least it was to yeah. me. So at what point when when you kind of like peek behind the curtain of the mechanics that make SNL work and you see these actors becoming people rather than sketch artists, it's. I don't know. It's kind of funny to me to see when it works and when it doesn't. And this one you're right. Like it was a little bit clunky. I it, I still thought it was funny,
0: but but you're totally a right. A little bit clunky? Like they butchered everything. Oh, it was okay. Okay. It, yeah, it was pretty bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know people like that one just because <laughs> it was funny and 80 cracked up and and a lot of people blame the stagehand for walking on too early, but it wasn't her fault. It was the camera was pointed at the wrong person. That was the issue.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, no the technical aspects of that one were really funny. What I liked was the concept. And if they could have pulled it off, it would have been so much better because yes. I think that it was well cast. It was well written. The concept was solid. Um, commenting on the fact that the news is like digging itself into this perpetual hole of repeating the same information is a smart choice and in totally accurate. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right.
0: Now, you're, you said your favorite for this episode was Inside the Beltway, probably because there was really nothing else that was even really good. But I love the apple picking sketch at the end.
1: You know, and I'm actually looking at my notes on that one and I wrote down, it's kind of okay, I guess. And I don't know if that's because I, by that point, had kind of
0: tuned Mm -hmm. out
1: and was just kind of tired. But you're right, like the apple picking sketch was okay. Yeah, I, I
0: do remember going on the message board right after the show, and that was the one everybody was saying was the standout, the apple picking. Now, as, mm. as someone who goes apple picking in the country many times, there are so many little lines in that that stood out to me, especially you can bring home $45 or $10 worth of apples for $45, which is oh yeah. True. And then what our apples lack in flavor they make up for in On the Ground. <laughs> and then Woody in there with the donkey. Woody, I love Woody with the donkey.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Anytime you bring on an animal is good. I, um, yeah. Well, one of the things I have to kind of acknowledge about myself as I watch SNL is every once in a while I find myself getting super critical of a sketch, but then I go, okay, but was I really the right audience for this? And I think you're right. Like objectively the apple farm sketch worked. There were just jokes that didn't land with me because I haven't gone apple picking. Uh, I currently live in Florida. So some of those jokes just, I just don't resonate because I don't get, I'm not on the inside of them.
0: And that's a good uh, explanation. Although you said the jokes don't land with you, yet you also love a good penis joke. So you're telling me you did not laugh at penis gourd? No. Damn it.
1: Well, actually, no, that, no, that one I did laugh at. I lied. I did laugh at that one. I was, I'm sorry. I was thinking that one was back in the locker room. I'm like, no, I didn't laugh at anything in that. No, the penis gourd. I definitely laughed
0: at. (laughs) So they just throw multiple penis jokes at you through the episode and eventually one will hit.
1: Yeah. As soon as it gets juvenile enough, I'll, I'll be okay. Okay,
0: So that is our review of the Woody episode that neither one of us liked it. Your standout was the inside the beltway. My standout was the apple picking. And other than that, we didn't like any of it basically. Yeah, it can all go,
1: (laughs) which is a shame because they had Bernie Sanders and they had David, um, Larry David. And I love Maya Rudolph, but, Ultimately, they just gave both of them kind
0: of lay material. I don't know. It was a weak open to yes, the season. I, that is the consensus. Most people I've talked to did not like that episode at all. It was not a straight-out disaster, but like many shows of this era, just boring enough that you don't remember it.
1: Yeah, that's that's 100% true.
0: Okay, we'll go to the next one, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And I will start out by asking you, you, I'm assuming, knew who Phoebe Waller-Bridge was before because you're into British stuff, right?
1: Uh, yes. Um, I had... I had seen some things with her in it, although I will say I actually haven't seen Fleabag yet. It's on my list, but I'm in the I'm deep into Schitt's Creek right now. So I have to finish that before
0: before I can catch up on Fleabag. OK, now, overall, how did you think she did as a host?
1: I thought she was pretty good overall. Um, she's got a decent amount of dynamic and the writers gave her a decent amount of stuff to do that was a little bit varied. I actually really liked her opening monologue. Her opening monologue was the most confident one that we've seen so far this season. Yeah,
0: I would agree. I I'd never heard of her. i didn't know who she was. And she pops up and she does this monologue. And I'm like, this lady's funny.
1: Yeah, she's she's got great timing.
0: And again, I've studied. What I do is I, like when I was a kid, I, I audio tape these stand-up comics. I just listen to rhythm and pacing and stuff. And she she's really good at stand-up. And to the point that I was like, I bet she's done it before. And I looked her up and she's never done it before. I'm like, that's amazing that she could do that on SNL. Like it wasn't like the funniest monologue you've ever seen, but it was so confident and it flowed so well. It, I was immediately impressed by her.
1: Oh, I completely agree. I um, and I wonder if some of that might be like going back to my British snobbery, um, the or British fetishing, I guess. The most British actors, just because of the way the country is set up with theater, will have both theater and film training. Like I, I actually saw Ian McKellen play King Lear after Return of the King had yeah. come out in Stratford upon Yvonne in 2007. So I like you, it happens where you see a lot of these really big mainstream British film actors who also do theater. And so I think a lot of that definitely showed where being on a stage in front of people is not as awkward for her as it is for some of the other hosts that we have who only do that in awards show season and feel awkward about it then.
0: (laughs) That's fantastic. That's a great observation. I wouldn't have thought that. That's that's cool. But yeah, overall, I I thought she was a great host. This might be my favorite of the three episodes. I kind of go back and forth between this and the David Harbour one. But I thought she was a good sport. She was did really good in in most of these sketches. But again, I don't think it was an amazing episode. Yeah, yeah. The cold opening. I can't stand almost any of these cold openings. I don't like when they bring in celebrities. I know from your notes, you liked this one a lot and you were very excited to see Matthew Broderick. So I will turn this one over to you. What what did you like about this one? (laughs)
1: Um, like, well, I thought this one worked better than the last one. So I think, uh, I think some of it is kind of like, Oh good. They're not bringing out Trump. It's, it's just, it looks better by comparison. I didn't love Kate as Rudy Giuliani at all. It felt, so weak for her. I do love Matthew Broderick, though. I am still a little... I feel like they should get him on. Although, again, I wonder in retrospect as I'm watching him if I liked him um, in the sketch because I like Matthew Broderick or if it was an actually good impersonation. I have no idea, but I do. I think it would be fun to get him in the sketch or get him um, as a yeah, host.
0: No, I do agree that the cold openings, if they're going to go political, they work better without Trump. My issue with the Pence character, and again, I don't really... Care about politics one way or another, but the character Pence is so low energy that I feel it's hard. It's, it's oh, hard to yeah. work comedy off a character who's just that low energy. Like it's like just from writing, it's hard to build around that.
1: Oh, for sure. Um, I I'll, I will say though, I did love the jab at Ben Carson because that was that totally landed for me. The idea that he's like chilling in an office for three years and nobody has any idea what he's doing is, I think, accurate. <laughs> okay,
0: I would love you to follow up on one thing you said about Kate. Is that you wrote this in your notes and I love this observation and you kind of alluded to it there um, that a lot of people love Kate, they say she can do no wrong. You said you particularly don't like her Giuliani. I don't. Why don't you like her playing <laughs> Giuliani?
1: Um I will say she's not the only offender of this, but every once in a while, especially in the political realm, because these characters in politics come and go and SNL kind of quickly. Sometimes um, her impersonation of Rudy Giuliani is look at me. I'm doing an impersonation. Um, like there's this twinkle in her eye. That's like, look, I'm doing the right hand gestures. I'm standing the way he does in film, but it was so weak. It just, it felt a little bit too, like she was about to look at the camera and just wink.
0: That is the sentence I was waiting for you to hit, the look at me, I'm doing an impression. So you pass the test.
1: It's probably because I have it in all capital letters (laughs) in
0: my notes. Nobody said I'm dumb. I can read your notes very well.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Okay. We're going to come up here to my favorite sketch of all three of these episodes. And I am already, already. Yes.
1: I think, I think (laughs) we agree on that. I'm
0: already predicting this one will be a candidate for live sketch of the year at the end of the season. This is the uh, WANU midday news, the (laughs) racial tensions of the newscasters.
1: That whole thing was so funny. (laughs) I loved that sketch. Like, it's the first sketch of the season, I can say, that I legitimately loved and would go back a lot again.
0: This is the type of sketch, and people always ask me why I still watch SNL because I've been, again, watching it since the mid 80s, unbroken streak. And even through the terrible eras, I'll still watch it. And I'm like, because they'll always once in a while be able to pull off a sketch like this. That makes me love SNO oh, yeah. again. And like, it was like a perfect sketch. Perfect casting, perfect writing. Even when I watch it again, the momentum, it gets funnier and funnier and funnier as it goes along because it builds. And that's so hard to oh, do. Oh yeah, the
1: pacing was so brilliant. Yeah, that's one of the comments I made on a lot of the sketches that they've done so far this season was that they were just too damn long. long. Um, and this one was a long sketch, but it had Perfect pacing. It it, like you're right. It built at a really, really good pace. Just when I thought, okay, it's over. They kept it going and it was awesome.
0: Okay, and give a shout out here to Ego. I think that's how to pronounce her name. I always forget how to pronounce her name as her first really big standout lead sketch. And she killed in it. She, she was amazing. Great. And my wife, my wife actually made this point. I was talking with her last night and she said, you know, if they'd done that sketch last season, Leslie would have played that role. And Leslie would not have done it as well because she screws up live sketches.
1: Yes. Well, and Leslie, um, Leslie, I do. I do think Leslie is very funny in her own way. But everybody in this sketch was totally invested just like performing. And it was yeah. so good. I loved the, I loved the reading on the 19 year old white Damn <laughs> It's like that killed
0: me. And that was Phoebe.
1: Yeah, it was so great. And then the whole Utah state park joke totally landed with me because again, I've lived in Utah and I, and the whole idea of like, what is a black person doing in Utah <laughs> joke? Like just had me howling. It was so funny because it's a hundred percent accurate.
0: <laughs> well, as you said, Phoebe, like that line, the line reading about uh 19 year old white, damn it. Like that was Phoebe. Yeah, the host was matching the timing of the sketch performers.
1: Well, and that is really good, I think, to point out that every once in a while you get so lucky on a host that really is just that good as an actor. And Phoebe really is an incredibly talented actress. And her reading on that was perfect. Her, her whole participation in that sketch was,
0: was really, yeah. really good. And again, I'm calling it right now. That will be a contender for sketch of the year. And I know in this trio of episodes, Grouch is the one that everyone remembers. But Grouch is a pre-tape, which is a whole different category. If you're talking live sketch, yeah. this was without question the best live sketch of these three episodes.
1: Oh, easily. Yeah, like by a whole mile, at least.
0: The other thing that I loved about this sketch is it's, it was amazing and well-timed and perfect. And it wasn't the usual people carrying it.
1: No, it wasn't. And that was exciting that it was it was some of these new faces. That was really, yeah. really like,
0: fun. You didn't have Cecily. You didn't have eighty. You didn't have Kate, who would normally be in there. Like you had Keenan, but Keenan's always the glue. He'll hold anything together. But yeah, Ego, oh, yeah. Chris, Alex, and then the host, Phoebe. So that's I really wanted to point that out, that when they give these new people a yes. chance, it's a big deal.
1: I agree. And and even, you know, I, I mean, I mentioned earlier that there are times I'm a little lukewarm on Keenan and where they put him. This is the kind of sketch he does so well that when he's cast in sketches like this one, I'm always excited because I'm like, OK, he can he can carry this off.
0: Yeah. And there's one little thing I want to point out here is that at one point in the sketch, Ego uh, blows the pronunciation of rock climbing. She says rock climbing kind of a weird way. And if you notice, uh-huh. Keenan repeats that line, he says it the exact same way that she did.
1: Yeah, like, it's
0: like almost like a moral support saying that, oh, he's just selling her pronunciation that so she doesn't get embarrassed. So I'm just saying little stuff that Keenan does out there that other performers probably appreciate.
1: Oh, completely. It's always really nice. Like in, in my own experience, when I've had when I've been on stage and I've like made a mistake, it's always really nice to know when your cast members are not going to throw you under the bus. They're going to have your back. Make sure that you look good, because that's the goal of any sketches to make everybody around mm-hmm. you look good.
0: And that is why Keenan is beloved as a sketch performer.
1: Oh yeah, and he should be beloved because he's a nice guy and he he generally tries his hardest. I appreciate that about Keenan.
0: Okay, now then we'll finish up with the buddies state line bar, the one with the the four or the three lead females, the elder females in the cast, uh Cecily, Kate, and uh AD, and then joined by Phoebe where they're like the white trash girls in the bar. Now, I kind of like this sketch. I thought it was fun because they were having a good time, and I'm always a sucker for a man getting a fake guitar smashed into his face so that's like your penis jokes i like the guitar to the face jokes (laughs) but you didn't like this one at all right
1: yeah this one to me i think is really (laughs) emblematic of a lot of what we've talked about where we have a like severe need for some cast rotation and a lot of people who were like everyone in the scene was basically playing to their own wheelhouse and they were all having a great time but i don't know it just felt a little self-serving to me i just I thought it was boring.
0: Yeah. You felt they were laughing at themselves and that becomes the humor at the sketch that all the comedians are laughing at how funny they think they're being and the audience maybe isn't quite as into it as much.
1: Yeah. Like, I mean, it felt like, I mean, it's, it's fun to hit fake dartboards and guitars on somebody else's head. Like there's joy in that. Like I will admit I've been in shows where I've had to like stage combat or hit somebody and. There's there's a certain level of glee that comes from being free to hit somebody and not have to feel bad about it. Um, but it's also like, OK, hold yourself together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you should be better than this.
0: OK, my my final thoughts on this one is I thought it was pretty good. It was probably my second or third favorite sketch in this episode. But I do not feel this is the type of sketch they should be doing at this point in this era. Like, there's no reason to have Amy and Kate and Cecily showcases when they're, like, eight, nine seasons into their run, when you could easily throw Ego out there or Heidi and give them a chance. So that's my bigger picture argument. Like, Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, this isn't helping the show.
1: Yeah, and it seems like there are a lot of sketches where we almost have now, – like, now that I think about it, I kind of want to track it and see how often do we see sketches with the four of them together not really mixing with some of these newer faces. It's almost – there are times when you feel like – they're really just dividing and not
0: letting them Mm -hmm. integrate as much. Yeah, it's kind of a crutch. And that's that's my argument is Lauren has not done a good job at integrating new people into the show for quite a while. Like the last person he really integrated in was, you know, 80 and Kate and Cecily when they joined. And like, it's kind of been riding that wave since. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so overall, your thoughts on the Phoebe episode, do you think it was above average, average, below average? What did you stand on it?
1: I would say as far as SNL standard currently with our like, you can still kind of jump over it limbo bar. I'd give it a, a little above average. Like there overall, there were more sketches in this one that I liked than I did. So
0: is that how you play limbo in Utah? You jump over the bar?
1: No, you should be going under the bar. Okay. <laughs> but so I don't really share. feel, no, but I don't really, oh, come on. No, like the bar should be high enough that you actually have to legit limbo under mm-hmm. it. But right now I feel like, I don't know it's just uh, wait no my metaphor is totally wrong the bi this doesn't work i don't know th- drop the
0: metaphor it doesn't work it just doesn't work <laughs> the episode was average yes. i it's okay so i will i will say it a little more succinctly <laughs> so the first episode the woody episode if they rerun that i'm not going to watch it i have no interest in that episode no. If they rerun this episode, I will remember it for, there's some really good stuff on Update, which we'll talk about, and yeah. that, the, we, the news sketch. So, I will always rewatch this episode if they rerun it, and that's the sign to me of a, I mean, I'm not gonna say good or bad episode, it's a, a an episode that I will remember, so I like this one.
1: Yeah, like, timing-wise, there are more minutes that are watchable on this episode than yes. there are not.
0: Okay, we'll go to the third episode here, the David Harbour and Camilla Cabello. I think that's her name. I I don't know. But anyway, this is, from what I hear, the consensus. Most people think this was the best of the three episodes. I personally think this one was a little overrated. I don't think it's as strong as people say it was. I will put it in my Phoebe category that when they rerun it, I will watch it because there's stuff in it that stands out. But I don't think it's amazing or anything.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think that's accurate.
0: Okay, let's start at the beginning here. The cold opening. This is the uh, equality in America, the town hall. I have almost nothing to say about this because this is all like political stuff and celebrity cameos, but I, I did like Woody. Woody as Biden was actually pretty funny. I appreciated that. His Biden was great. <laughs> and there's one note that Joni included in her notes that I have to include. I have to set you up for this one. When, when, uh, Colin Joes comes out as Pete, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. They call him Booty Gig. I don't know how to say it, but he does this thing with his arms and you <laughs> wrote in your notes. Pete Booty Gig? That that sounds a little That's how they that's how they say it in the episode, Joni. <laughs> Miss, I don't know what a limbo bar does.
1: Oh, no, that's fair. <laughs> I'll allow that. The
0: thing with his arms. You wrote a note in your in your uh, comment in your notes. Explain what you wrote about the way Colin Jost holds his arms and the joke they made about them.
1: Okay, when people go out on stage for the first time and they're not really used to being in a situation where they present, there's this weird thing that happens. You see it all the time when you're working with beginning actors where they will get on stage and suddenly they realize they have arms again for the first time in their life and they have no idea what to do with them. Like you see people doing the weirdest stuff with their arms where like some people will just kind of default to crossing them. But then their drama teachers will say, well, you can't do that because it makes you look angry. And so they're like, "Okay, but then what do I do? Do I just like hold them at my sides? And when people are off stage, they're totally fine with their arms. They talk like they gesture, they stand like everything's fine. But as soon as you get in a position where you're on stage, suddenly there's these alien like appendages. And that's Legit, what they were doing with him as Buttigieg, which I thought was really actually kind of funny because
0: that's 100% accurate. (laughs) Yeah. So, what he said is, I'm from Harvard and they didn't tell me what to do with my arms. It's like a stage joke. That's, it's literally wow, 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 actor. Okay. So, I just wanted people to know that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That one was in my wheelhouse. That one made me laugh. I know, I don't know how many other people got it, but I thought it was
0: funny. (laughs) Okay. and, And this cold opening, this one in particular seemed to go on forever.
1: Oh, yeah. It was, it was just this veritable like, Let's drop in every celebrity we can con into this in New York. Although I am kind of biased towards Lin-Manuel Miranda just because I like him. So I was biased there, but I did love his I'm Latino, which we can all agree is something (laughs) line, which I thought was was pretty funny. Like a nice commentary on a lot of this, this just huge pile of people who are trying to get the Democratic bid, who are all like, I'm different in this way. I would be the first this. (laughs) I'm something. Yeah, I'm something. You should vote for me because I have
0: something weird. Okay, so let's go to a sketcher that got a lot of press. This is the Little Miss Teacher's Friend sketch. Now, before I hear your thoughts on this, I saw, I watched this. I'm like, oh, that no, was kind of cute. I could tell AD had a hand in writing this. AD has a very definite style stuff that she does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I thought it was pretty cute, but it was, it was stuff I've seen on the show before. Like, I've seen eighties type of thing before. So I, I wasn't really impressed by this. I was very surprised when I read the reviews and this was like a very highly regarded sketch. People loved it. Although, before I get to your comments, I did love the random Bo and Yang cheering for the principal and the principal angrily screaming at him. I just like that yeah, little non So what, what were your thoughts on this one? I had
1: the same thoughts that you did. I was actually kind of surprised because I, you know, again, I was a teacher for a while and I have, I'm still friends with people who teach and they were all like reposting and talking about this sketch and really liking it. And for me, I was kind of meh on it. I, I thought it was okay, but there were some of it. There were some of the jokes in there that I just didn't land with me. I wanted to like it. Although the comment I did make on this one was that I really wanted it to be end, like, end like Little Miss Sunshine. And so maybe I was just predisposed to not like it because I kept waiting so, for Abigail Breslin to come out in this horrible outfit so, and dance. So
0: <laughs> if the girls had ripped off their clothes and done a strip tease, it would have worked for you. I better. would have
1: laughed so hard <laughs> because that is, that is one of my favorite moments in all of film. So I would have, I would have really enjoyed that. <laughs> Um, My only other comment in my notes is that the outfit that Brittany, the religious would be pallbearer is wearing is one that I would legitimately wear. And I'm a little bit unsure
0: of how I feel about that. (laughs) I know you also mentioned that you thought this sketch would work better with older kids.
1: Yeah, I, I wondered if it was a little bit if some of the jokes didn't land for me, because I think that were they intended to be younger elementary students or did I totally misunderstand that?
0: It did feel like they were very young because they had the thing about tattling, So it was like these were little kids.
1: Yeah, although that was the joke that a lot of my teacher friends really, really liked that bit because that is, that is fair. Like there, there are when you teach younger students, people who, who do pride themselves on tattling on everybody else, but.
0: So is the reason this sketch didn't land for you because you were a teacher for many years and you can't stand these little kiss asses? <laughs> I mean, not to put words in your mouth.
1: Um, <laughs> um no, I, I really don't know what it was. I've, I've been thinking about a sketch because I was like, this is a sketch that should have landed with me and it didn't. And I still haven't quite put my finger on what it was about it that didn't resonate with me, but it
0: didn't. Okay. So uh, let's talk about Soul Cycle here. There's two sketches here. I mean, the three really, three in this episode Little Miss Teacher's Friend got a huge pop online. People seem to love it. A lot of people were talking about Soul Cycle. That was like an all time classic. And then Folk of the Past, the folk singing. I didn't think any one of those three was anything special. I'm kind of surprised they were regarded so highly. What, what did you think of the other two? The soul cycle and the folk singers.
1: Yeah, I actually had the same, like if you look at my, well, no one on the podcast can, but if you, if you were to see my notes in front of you, you would see that I have a lot of notes for some of the other sketches, like Oscar the Crouch, Weekend Update, of course, just cause it's longer. Um, but soul cycle, I have like, I think. The sketch might have been funny, but I don't ever go to the gym because my exercise is doing musical theater. So I'm not sure. I will say, um, there were bits and pieces of, of the characters that they, that they wrote that I thought worked. The sketch as a whole didn't really land for me, but I thought it was a great sketch for Bowen. I actually really liked David Harbour in it. Mm-hmm. I didn't care for Kate again in this one as much, but again, they're like, they're giving her a job that they would have probably given somebody else if they had anybody else to give it to. Um, so some of that didn't quite read as well, but I, I actually really liked Bowen yeah. in it.
0: I was going to say the same thing. I love Bowen in it. I liked Heidi in it. Again, they're giving the new, yeah, people, Heidi was yeah, they're giving the new people a chance to shine, which I, I, I'm I, dying for that. Please keep doing that. So even though this one didn't yeah, land yeah, yeah. with me, and then uh, Ego, of course, was in there as one of the leads as well, and Alex. So again, just new people doing new stuff, which is, I, we're thirsty, we're cacti, begging for water that's what we want so
1: yeah yeah so ultimately like my my read on the sketches that i i was probably not 100 percent the right audience for it but it wasn't it wasn't a sketch where i go wow that was horrible it was just one where i go i don't think i resonated with the jokes
0: because not because they weren't funny mm-hmm.
1: but because i wasn't i've, I've never done soul cycle yeah.
0: you're not the market no. And there's a couple sketches in this episode. I'm assuming you were not the market for the father son podcast and the Italians arguing over spaghetti sauce. I'm guessing those are not your wheelhouse, Miss Britain.
1: <laughs> I actually, I thought the family dinner sketch was okay, although that one is definitely more up your alley than mine. Now, why, would you, why would you say that? I'm sorry. Whose name is Mario? Yeah. Um, it's a you. Um, that was a really lame joke. Oh, man. I apologize for that one. You
0: just appropriated my accent.
1: <laughs> I'm a horrible person. I'm fired. This, yeah. is, this has been fun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Mike Bloom will be back next week.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I actually thought David Harbour was a super good sport in the family dinner sketch. I I'm really curious about how much of what Kate did was rehearsed.
0: <laughs> yeah. She was, she was making him laugh quite a bit. I'm guessing it was mostly improvising. And I, I didn't like that sketch at all. I just thought it was silly and it just kept going on. I, that's not my type of humor. Yeah. Even though, again, I am very Italian and my grandmother <laughs> and grandfather were kind of like that. They, they did not ever do it in front of me in the kitchen, but otherwise it was pretty close. Uh, the father son podcasting commercial I have a special affinity, to just because I obviously do a lot of podcasting. And literally three days ago, I did a podcast with my daughter on my uh, my movie podcast, Staff Picks. We talked about the movie The Wicker Man. And I thought the irony was quite telling that that sketch came out the exact same week I released my first podcast with my own kids. So I did like that.
1: I actually thought about that. I thought, this is... This is definitely something that you will have something to say about. I I did make the note though in my in my notes here that we are definitely two for two on making male hosts do semi awkward commercials about fathers and sons. So, I don't know how I feel about that trend.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you go back to uh, Colin Joe's making jokes on update about how his dad never loved him. Like you know those are coming from Colin. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah 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 for sure. <laughs>
0: And then, okay, so the folk music uh, song, The Folk of the Past, I will just race through this one. I, I thought this one was okay. I didn't love it. it. It went on a little long for me, but I am not stupid enough to ignore the fact that when that sketch ended, it got this huge applause. Did you hear that applause they got from the audience? Yeah. Well,
1: and and they, it, it's it reminded me a little bit of the old Lawrence Welk show. Um, sketches, which I did, like, I did think it was a little bit long, but there were enough of the jokes in that one that mm-hmm. worked that I didn't think it was a total failure. Some of it was a little bit awkward, but they definitely, like, they committed and they sang it well. I mean, if you're into the kind of, like, hippie 60s music yeah. genre, then it was, it was done well. Yeah.
0: Okay, and now we get to the standout, the one that everyone knows, Grouch, the pre-taped standout, which is epic. It's all over. It's gone viral all over the internet. Even people I know that do not watch SNL are forwarding it and posting it and sharing it. I guess the question is, do you have anything bad to say about that? Because I don't.
1: I don't actually. I thought it was really funny. I actually recently did a, a presentation on Jim Henson for my puppetry class. That's right. Oh. Puppetry. That's what grad school's about for me. <laughs> um, and learned a ton about early Muppets that I think some people of my generation wouldn't know about. For example, did you know that Jim Henson had a pilot that he pitched and they had one show of called The Muppet Show, Sex and Violence?
0: What's funny is we're my wife and I are actually watching season one of The Muppet Show on DVD right now, and that's one of the trivia uh-huh. tracks that came up last night, that Jim Henson's first show was like called Muppet, Sex and Violence. And my wife was like, what the hell was that supposed to be?
1: Yep. Um, Jim Henson, so after The Muppets landed Sesame Street... He was really, really intent on trying to get his his Muppets so that they had a broader audience. He didn't want them pigeonholed for preschoolers. So he was pitching all kinds of stuff. They actually made an appearance on SNL and it was miserably like it was so bad. Uh, And it was John Belushi um, who went down as calling them the Mucking Fuppets, which I thought was just genius. So they eventually um, it was Britain that picked up the Muppet show. Um, but not before Jim Henson tried to get the Muppet show sex and violence added. And so um, when people talk about the Muppets not being like they're supposed to be for kids, they're supposed to be light and funny. They're not supposed to be dark. They're not supposed to be like Kermit and Miss Piggy shouldn't be breaking up, whatever. That's a pretty big misunderstanding of some of what Jim Henson intended for his puppets. <laughs> so um, I thought this show was one that Jim Henson would have been really happy with. <laughs> and I thought it was really clever
0: do you think Jim Henson ever intended for Prairie Dawn to be a dirty street whore?
1: (laughs) I think he would have been, um, actually, I don't know if I can speak for Jim Henson on this one, but I think it was a really funny choice. (laughs) Um, I thought that was, that was really, really funny. And turning, turning Oscar the Grouch into this dark Joker-esque
0: character was really, really, like that landed it.
1: it, The whole sketch had so much commitment. Mm -hmm. It was really, really, really well-written.
0: Yeah, well the, the takeaway for me is I have not seen Joker, I'm not going to see Joker. Yet it still kills with me. This is still amazing sketch. I still love everything about it. So, if it can work even if you don't know the source material, that's amazing.
1: I agree. Yeah, when you can when you can reach out to a broad audience like that, it's great. And I think it worked because even if you haven't seen Joker or like us don't intend to see it, everybody knows Sesame Street. Like they've done I as part of my research for this for this class found out that Sesame Street literally has 100% brand recognition. Hmm. Um, They estimate that every single kid in the United States with few exception will have seen Sesame Street by the time they're four. So whether or not you know the Joker, you know Sesame Street. And so the joke works because everybody gets it.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. It's not like politics. It's not like Soul Cycle. It's not, you know, some of those jokes where you don't know if you're on the inside or not. Everybody's on the inside of Sesame Street.
0: Very well said. Yeah, this... To me, this will go down as a contender for sketch of the year, even though, again, I have to make the delineation. This was a pre-tape, not a live sketch. But I just did read the thing. There's a thing on Reddit that the turnaround on this sketch, they filmed all the stuff for it and they edited it and put it together within 27 hours. Whoa, no way. Yeah. And they only released it. They exported it as its final version 10 minutes before the show. That's impressive. Yeah. So it's it's yeah, this is one of those legendary things when people say, Oh, SNL isn't funny. SNL hasn't been funny a long time. Every so often they'll pull something out of their butts like Grouch, which is so fantastic. So again, I go, I know we're preaching to the choir too, our SNL audience. I can't imagine there's one person who didn't like this, but yeah, this is the big standout of the first three episodes.
1: Yeah, it was it was really, really good. And if they could do more stuff like that, then I would be thrilled.
0: Mm-hmm. So, overall, the David Harbor episode, where does it stand? Where? On your limbo, on your <laughs> wildly vacillating oh, limbo no. bar of success, where does it stand? <laughs> Miss, I'm taking puppets.
1: Oh man, that's humiliating. Um, no, I thought it was good. I thought it was very rewatchable. Most of the sketches here were landed well. So
0: you think this was the best of the three episodes?
1: Um, I think. I don't know. I'd have to, I think, yeah, actually, overall, I think more of them worked for me than the Phoebe episode, although I liked Phoebe
0: better as a host. Okay. Yeah, that's well said. I, coming into this podcast, I was going to say the Phoebe one was my best of the three, but now I'm, I'm thinking this one was probably a little better. Although again, it just falls into my category. When they rerun this episode, I will absolutely watch it. So yeah. that's all I really care about. So in our summary of the trio of episodes, I will say we will, are in the same opinion here that in the words of the great philosopher Meatloaf, don't be sad because two out of three ain't bad.
1: <laughs> and they're heading in a good direction.
0: They are, yeah. For for this era, like last season started terribly and they had no momentum. And this one actually has some momentum after three episodes. So that's really all you can ask
1: for. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay,
0: so we'll finish up with Weekend Update. First off, are you a Colin Jost and Michael Che fan?
1: They have grown on me. I, I actually think that they worked pretty well in these most recent episodes. So yeah, I would say that I am okay with Colin Jost and Michael Che. (laughs) Yeah.
0: See, I personally love them. Just those guys are so high above most other joke writers. They they're consistently catching me off guard with where they go with their punchlines, especially Michael Che. Yeah. Especially Michael Che. Oh
1: yeah. I was going to say Michael Che takes serious risks. There were a couple jokes that he told this time that so worked (laughs) and they were so edgy. And I loved that. Like when we talked about like his whole bit about comparing Donald Trump to Lenny in Of Mice and Men is genius.
0: (laughs) He's strong. Yeah, that's... Oh, that was so funny. (laughs) I personally, as a joke writer myself, love going to Lenny of Of Mice and Men, one of my favorite comic punchlines. So, Michael Che, near and dear to my heart. That whole strong bit was great. I love the one in the the last episode where he talks about Lincoln being gay and he's like, uh, because you knew... Oh my (laughs) God. You knew you could find him. so funny. (laughs) Because John Wilkes Booth knew where to find him. He was killing him in the theater. He's like, I know where that bitch is.
1: Oh my gosh. I, that, well, speaking of, I'm, I'm prolific in office references. It reminded me of Michael Scott saying that the Lincoln assassination recently became funny. And I wonder if Che was like, hey, I have permission. <laughs> but that joke was so, oh man, that joke landed. I actually was talking about that. I was at a theater, um, getting some work done today and my, the staff I was around was talking about that joke and how funny they thought it was. So it landed in the theater crowd.
0: <laughs> so you're like Lincoln, we always know where you will be. I know where that person is. Theater.
1: Uh, Yeah. Yep. Nope. <laughs> okay. So, I can't. I have rehearsal. of my life.
0: <laughs> so yeah, I love Joe and Che. Even if an episode is bad, I will almost always love them. I just think they're great.
1: Oh, yeah. Weekend Update has landed really consistently recently. Yeah.
0: And let's finish off with the correspondence. Now, Elizabeth Warren, we had her in the second one. That's, again, Kate doing her whatever her version of Elizabeth Warren is. Did you like that one? Um,
1: There were a couple jabs that I thought worked, although I, I might be like, in my wheelhouse a little bit like the whole nevertheless she persussed jab at Orlando um, and the doll joke at Des Moines right in a row made me feel very called out. Um, I was raised in Iowa and I now live in Orlando. So I was like, wow, I'm having a rough night, but they might not be wrong. So those jokes made me laugh pretty hard.
0: Okay. Now we have on the third episode, we have Bailey Gizmert and I will flat out say again, I love Heidi but I really wish they'd give her new stuff to do because it's really starting to grate on me that she's not going anywhere. Like I love again, I like Bailey, but I always feel like we've seen this before.
1: Yeah, I'll agree with that.
0: Okay, now we finished with the two that I thought were the strongest uh, weekend update correspondents. The Chen Biao, I believe, that was a uh, Bowen Yang as the sassy Chinese trade representative, and that was that funny. was really funny. And like that wasn't necessarily my material; it wasn't playing for me. But that is what I like to call attitude comedy where it's not even so much the lines as it is the attitude. And that's something like Steve Martin would do. Norm MacDonald, same yes. kind of sort of like attitude comedy. Totally. I, I would love to see more of that character because I love that attitude.
1: Yeah. And there were a couple of lines that really, that he really landed. Like one of the things that I'm really, really liking about this edition of Bowen is that he seems to be able to really hit a punchline mm-hmm. with really good timing. So his whole, like we actually built our wall and you can see it from space line
0: really, really worked. <laughs> Yeah, that guy has amazing timing and comedy presence. And I know a lot of people are immediately anointing him as like the big savior or the next big thing on SNL. I'm not quite that ready, but man, did he have a good three episodes. He came out and hit the ground running. So, you know, more power to him. He
1: really did. Yeah, I'm excited to see what they do with him because it's definitely he's a welcome presence
0: on the show. That guy's got some tiggle (laughs) biddies. Yes. (laughs) Okay. And we'll finish up here with the last correspondent. This is the one that I think was maybe the most underrated part of these three episodes. This Mort Fellner.
1: Yes. It was so who's on first classic comic wordplay.
0: And I loved it. It was so simple. And I feel like we've probably seen this before, but it was executed so perfectly with Mikey Day. And you got to give Colin Joe some credit because he's selling the punchlines. Oh, yeah. That was amazing. Yeah, that was maybe, maybe not the funniest thing on the show in the three episodes, but I would watch that routine over and over. It's so well done.
1: Especially, yeah, I love those sketches. And it, it was, it was just long enough to work because, um, kind of, I mean, if we go back to the letter writing one from, um, from the same episode. So if we do the war in words, It went on for too long. It was the same bit, but it went on for too long. So it stopped being funny. But this one had better timing and it was the same gag, but it was played off so cleverly that it was continually funny as you're kind of like, okay, so we know the person's dead, but how (laughs) (laughs) was it was very, very, very entertaining. I it was it was yeah, like I said, it was just classic. Who's on
0: first wordplay. And I loved it. There's comedy that makes me laugh. And there's comedy that I admire. That is comedy. I admire because I can't do that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a really good way to phrase that. It was really well timed. They performed it really well. It was it was it was good.
0: And plus, how the hell does he do that voice? Mikey Day, how do you hold no that voice? Idea. That's crazy. Yeah, that was
1: that was pretty impressive. He yeah, he was really really good in the character. <laughs>
0: Okay, and I believe that's it. Do you have anything else to say about these three episodes? I feel we've, we've, we were pretty comprehensive and I, much like Bo and Yang, I believe you, you walked in here and you hit the ground running. So well done. Your soul cycle audition was impressive, don't you? Oh,
1: oh, well, thank you. <laughs> hopefully, you no, know, I literally am looking back at what we've said and going, okay, I've talked a lot about people laughing at their own jokes and I feel like I've done that a lot. So hopefully it's not. I don't know, too uncomfortable.
0: Wait, you feel you (laughs) laughed at your own jokes?
1: I laugh when I'm uncomfortable, (laughs) like right now when people compliment me and I go oh
0: thank you <laughs> alright I will never compliment you again so that, take that okay I appreciate that <laughs> All right. so anyway you can uh, listen to Joni and me again on uh, SNL After Party we will be back in November for the November wrap up and hopefully the show keeps up the momentum and that uses the new people a lot as they have been doing because that is a fantastic addition to the show they're actually giving new people a chance so again for Joni and me I want to thank you for listening uh, turn it over back to John for your regular SNL After Party and we will talk to you again next month until then bye bye